Bonjour tout le monde and welcome to uh, their first episode of Press Parisienne. My name's Kelly and I'm joined today by Delara. Hi everyone, welcome on board. So today we're recording in the really beautiful park Jardin de Luxembourg, situated in the 6th arrondissement. Um, this mm -hmm. park is really beautiful, it's got a really calm vibe and today it's like super busy, there are people everywhere. Yeah. So here people come with their kids and stuff, there's a big pond in the middle of the park where you can sail boats just in front of the Palais de Luxembourg, mm -hmm. which is a beautiful big house which is currently home to the Senate, but yeah. looks like it was built in like 1612, which is oh, really? incredible. Um, so there's lots of green space here, lots of places to sit. We saw some ponies passing with some children on them, there are tennis courts here. Um, and it's just a really lively park, but it still has a really cool vibe about it. Yeah, so before we start on today's episode, we wanted to set the tone a little bit. Yeah. So as we explained in our pilot episode, this podcast is about life and culture of two foreigners, yeah. Dilara and Kelly. We're obviously going to talk about Paris as well as our overall experiences in France. And I would say we both have a um, multicultural entourage. We both met born and bred Parisians, French nationals, expats, immigrants, refugees uh, during our journey here. And we are very much aware that our experiences are unique and by no means they should be generalized. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that we really want to underline. And then another thing that we want to underline is that there are really rigid and cliche stereotypes out there about Parisians uh -huh. yeah. or French people in general. And they are quite polarized. So in one end, uh, such as like Parisians being rude or having an attitude or Paris being a stinky city of rats. Uh, and on the other extreme opposite end of it uh, comes Paris being this romantic, glamorous city of love, fashion and luxury. And we think like fictional stories like Emily in Paris, because it's a really recent example, play really hard on these stereotypes and are obviously not realistic. So what we really like to do here is to break these stereotypes and provide you, uh, our listeners, with a genuine, realistic perspective on the city. Uh, and obviously as much as our experiences allow us to do. Yeah, absolutely. So this very first episode, we've decided to talk about Paris itself. We're going to talk about many different topics about living here, but mm -hmm. we decided for this first intro for you that we really wanted to um, share with you the city we live in. It's like yeah. such a good place to start. Yeah, I think one essential thing that you can really that can really help you wrap your way around Paris, whether you're planning to come here for a visit or just moving here, is to understand how the city is structured because it took me a while to understand. <laughs> So Paris is pretty much of a circle that contains 20 arrondissements which can be translated to districts and it goes out in a spiral form, like just like a snail. And starting from the first arrondissement, being in the center and counting up until the 20th. And the Seine River cuts the city almost in half from west to east. So any district above the river on the north is the right bank and anything that is below the south is the left bank. Then there is the peripheral highway that forms the circle and it is called Periferic. Yeah. yeah. 
it's about 35 kilometers long, so 22 miles long. Is that all? Yeah, I, I would have thought it was, yeah. I would have thought it was a lot longer than 22 miles. It feels like it when you're stuck in a traffic jam for three hours that it's longer than 22 miles. So anything outside of the peripheric is counted as like the outskirts, the suburbs, uh, which are the banlieue. And it's really not really counted anymore as Paris, but it's still in the région parisienne. But there's a lot of discussion, I say even like heated uh, controversy, about whether you live in the right bank or the left bank, and inside or outside of the periphery. Yeah. So I've heard there's a phrase for it here, and it's um, anthromuros is, hmm. is the expression. So if you if you live within the peripheric in the, the one of the 20th arrondissements, mm-hmm. you have like a, a set Parisian postcode, yeah. which is related to what district you live in. Mm-hmm. Anything outside of that, you are no longer living <laughs> in Paris. And I have a confession to make: is that I don't live in Entremuros. Um, my district is called Val, Val de Marne, and mm-hmm. it's actually south of the 13th arrondissement mm-hmm. of Paris. So I am not even presque Parisienne in any way because I don't even live there. And I was teasing Kelly about this a little bit because, like, Kelly, we decided to do a podcast about being Parisians, and you're not a Parisian anymore. <laughs> not anymore. No. Uh, my first apartment that mm-hmm. I had was in the 14th arrondissement, on this in the south of the city. I had a, a small studio there. It was about 20 square meters, which is about what? Like oh. 215 square foot, I think. Okay, pretty small. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, I lived there for the first six months that I got here. I wasn't living alone though. I was living with um, a nice little family of mice that kindly used to come and visit me and hang out in my bins. And um, one of them actually showed up, I was sitting on my bed and one of them showed up and sat in the middle of the floor (laughs) looking at me like as if like, what are you gonna do about this? And I decided to name him Monsieur Petit. Oh, because he was so small. Because he was so small and he was actually pretty cute, but gross. Yeah, gross. Uh, but like, there was this uh, rumor about like Paris having big rats, and I never came up. Like, I never saw them. I only see the little ones. Really, the street I live on right now is like it's, it's got rats <laughs> the size of rabbits. And if oh, you go, wow. yeah, if you go down my street after midnight, <laughs> it's so, so they gross. get bigger. Like as they travel to suburban yeah. areas, they get more <laughs> yeah. food. <laughs> but yeah, these rats are the yeah the rats are pretty insane. Oh. Yeah. So I left Montparnasse on the 14th mm-hmm. and I went to the right bank and moved in with my partner at the time. To It was it was still a studio, but it was mm-hmm. a bigger studio and the building I was in was like a lot more modern. Oh. I stayed there probably only for a few weeks until we decided to get an apartment that we could both share. Okay. And so we moved back to the left bank. <laughs> we went back south and went to the 13th arrondissement which was an apartment near Place d'Italie. Yeah, I know this one. I yeah. visited that. That was a good apartment. It was a lovely apartment. I mean, it still is, but you're no longer there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So after a while of living there, uh, I decided to move out to the Creme Lambicette, which is technically in the Val de Marne, the 94, as yeah. we as like to call it. <laughs> Different postcode. As Anything within the Paris area, uh, I mean, the, within the periphery, has a 75 postcode. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I've been told many times, oh, that's not a Parisian postcode. Yes, but, I know, but I'm not paying Parisian rent either. <laughs> That's true. But how did you like living in the left bank? I really enjoyed it. I am. Um, I liked how quiet it was, mm-hmm. and I liked how much more space there was than in the right bank. 
when I came home from a night out mm-hmm. in the in the north of the city, the streets are so much smaller. There's so yeah. many people there. It's very crowded. It's very oppressive. When I would come out of um, Campo Formio, which was the the station that, I, that yeah. was my stop, it was just so wide open. You know, the space again. It's like, oh great, I'm home. I'm back on the I'm back on the left bank. It's where I prefer to be. Yeah, I guess I can understand that given where you come from, like Scotland being so big and green and calm and you perhaps like seeked for that calmness when you came to Paris. And for me, when I first arrived here in 2013, I had my first studio in the 15th, which is also in the left bank. And I would say it's like a more residential area, just like the 13th. Having come from Istanbul, such a huge city of, I think, like 16 million people, and Paris is like two, I hated it. I hated the 15th. (laughs) Because it was, um, I mean, I was even in, like, close to uh, Rue de Commerce, which is, like, the most lively area of uh, the 15th, but I found it too calm and too quiet and overpriced because there was, like, so many families living there, and... I don't know, I used to call it the arrondissement de roue, which means like the uh, district of wheels. Okay, okay. <laughs> Do you know why? <laughs> no. So basically there would be like these families pushing their poussettes, like the strollers, the buggies, and then there would be these kids with their uh, scooters, the trottinettes, yeah, okay. and then there would be these senior citizens <laughs> walking around. Um, I don't even know how to call it. I think it's called a rollator walking aid. Okay. Like those walking aids with wheels on them. Yeah. So it was the district of the wheels. <laughs> But yeah, I lived there for about three years in a studio of like 15 meters square, which is like 161 square foot, super tiny. Like the kitchen is, you do everything where you you eat, you sleep, you watch TV, whatever in the same room. I really wanted to move to towards the right bank and that's when I moved to the 11th uh, arrondissement okay. to Republic and funny enough it was like really the border of the 11th my side of the uh, street was the 11th the across across my street was the 10th oh right okay so the postal code changed and I found that like hilarious and I moved in a studio like the one you lived in when you first came in 20 meters square in Rue du Faubourg de Temple. Okay. And uh, you've been there. I mean, it's just a different vibe there. There's. It was like Trapa uh, de la Place République, so which means like really close, three, three steps to Place de la République. And there were bars, clubs, kebab shops, Chinese-owned like textile stores, African mini supermarkets. It was really anime like bustling, bougeant, you know. And I found it really diverse, and that's what I really liked about like living in the 11th and yeah you, that was that was a great flat you had because yeah you, you come off at republic and republic is always jammed and, and on a saturday you're lucky even if the metro's open because of like all the protests and yeah, stuff that happen yeah. on an almost weekly basis um <laughs> when you went into your apartment your apartment faced a little courtyard so yeah. it seemed like pretty quiet mm-hmm and then when you left and came out onto your street, it was just like almost sensory overload. You lived across from like a, a theatre or something yeah, as well. Yeah, Palais de Glace, which okay. I've never been to. <laughs> but yeah. there was always a huge line in front of it. Yeah, and I and I only remember it because it had that big stone elephant on, yeah. the, on the facade. The first time I came to your apartment, I was standing and I was like, I think this is their dress. And I remember texting you, 
I'm, I'm standing outside the big stone elephant. <laughs> Am I near where you are? I tried to find your apartment on that incredibly busy street but yeah as soon as you left your apartment you just went out and it was just like it just it was it was a great vibe yeah yeah it, they they call this uh, neighborhood now in paris bobo um, uh, bohemian bourgeois i think that's what it translates to there there's just a lot of life happening there and more like younger generation enjoys being there and having lived there after six years i moved out i live closer uh, to nation and it's, it's a bit calmer, but there's still like lively areas like Rue du Faubourg Saint-Antoine and it was a big upgrade for me moving here because I now live in a palace. <laughs> it's 75 meters squares, I got three floors, so it's like 807. Madame, Madame, Madame, the tour, please, we, we got caught by, <laughs> interrupted by the grass police. <laughs> yes, something I didn't mention about Jardin de Luxembourg. You are not allowed to sit on the grass, and a woman just get told off for even walking on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That Man, was harsh. It is really strict. <laughs> <laughs> the grass police. Uh, but what was I saying? So yeah, I moved in a bigger space, and now I moved in there with my partner, and which is something that I really want to mention. If you have moved to Paris, unless you have a, like a really well-paid job, and if you want to stay in the central areas it's really not possible to afford anything a little bit bigger than a studio. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think this is probably something we're going to visit at yeah. some point, is the the, the whole um, experience of renting apartments, buying apartments in the city, because, yeah, absolutely, it's, um, it's probably going to be one of your biggest challenges. Definitely. I felt like being a Turkish citizen, getting a visa uproot, work permit uproot, finding a job would have been more difficult. Finding an apartment was more difficult. Yeah. It, it's always been that way here. I think where you live in Paris kind of defines the way your day-to-day -day life goes. And I, I, we really want to do uh, really soon another episode on what it is to live in Paris. Like, what is the day-to-day -day life? I think you're right. It does. Every arrondissement has its own identity and you adapt to that identity of, um, so yeah, it really does define um, how you live. It also defines your lifestyle in terms of socializing yeah. because you don't really want to go any further than maybe like the next arrondissement over, <laughs> or you know, maybe like you might venture to the Rive, uh, to the Rive Dois, to the North Bank every from time to time, but it really does, it, it limits you in an, in an adaptable, good way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's also why I didn't like living in the 15th, because I had to take a metro at least like 30, 40 minutes to yeah. arrive to the 10th or 11th mm -hmm. where I used to hang out. And it was just su such, a, I don't like getting out of my place and like commuting that much. <laughs> yes, exactly. I would put, if you had to go anywhere in Paris, regardless of where someone's invited you to, I would give yourself 40 minutes yeah. every time. Blanket 40 minutes to get anywhere. Although like the metro lines are very, very well connected, still it takes a lot of time. But now how do you find it living in Kremlin? Like because you have to add some more time to your commute. Yeah, so I the, the Kremlin message still sits on line seven, mm -hmm. so it's, I still have a direct link to the centre of Paris, and it's a direct link to my office where I work as well, so it's pretty That's perfect. That's important. The Kremlin message itself is a, it's a really nice little sort of community almost. Huh. There's a lot of students. There's like a university or a college there. Oh, nice. Um, I haven't really ever found out what the college does. <laughs> um, and there's also like a large media tech, which is like obviously like a big resource library for the students oh, as well. Okay. The 
bars that, that are there. There's not many bars, but they're full of students all the time. So the, the Kremlin Bisset is, is actually a really old area. Um, it was once, really? uh, yeah, it was um, one of the most important things in the Kremlin Bisset is the hospital. Mm-hmm. So obviously there's like lots of traffic, so lots yeah, of sirens, sirens yeah, passing by uh, all, yeah, the time, all, yeah. all the time. So the, the hospital was called the Bisset. Mm-hmm. And it was actually famously, it was where Philippe Pinel, like, he yeah. actually pioneered the humane treatment of mentally ill patients in that ah, hospital. I didn't know that. That was where the Bisset part came from, and it used to be called that. A little bit later on, um, when France was at war with mm-hmm. Russia, there was a lot of uh, Russian veterans that used oh. to come to that hospital. And uh, because of, like, PTSD and stuff. Yeah, so oh. they would go to that hospital, and then there was a, uh, there was a tavern um, within the town itself, and all the Russian veterans used to go there. They came known as Le Kremlin, uh, obviously links to, to Moscow. Oh. And so finally, the two names were fused together, and that's why it's called Le Crème Bisset. I see that really common here in France, like, they merge names. Mm. Yes. <laughs> they merge names. And what I also find fascinating is every street has a name. So it, where I come from, Istanbul, main boulevards, avenues, and big streets do have a name, but side streets only have numbers. So one, you would be living on, like, street 6,343. Oh, yeah. No. Here in Paris... I find it so it's pretty easy to get lost on these big boulevards. Even even if I have Google Maps on me, I use Google Maps All every day, me every too. single day. I'm the blue <clears throat> dot on my maps or else I'm lost. And not even just for navigating the streets, but I need to know what metro exit to come out of so that you know yeah. you're coming out the right direction. And there's been so many times that I've walked down a big wide boulevard thinking I'm on I'm going where I need to be going yeah. and that boulevard is taking you in a completely different direction and you end up miles away from where you yeah. have to be. Or worse, <laughs> you end up doubling back on yourself if you decide to take a side street to fix yeah. and then you end up back in the same place. I was at, I was at a dinner party um, uh-huh. one evening and uh, someone was asking me how does how does Paris how is Paris different from Glasgow and the classic first question classic question <laughs> I'd had a few drinks but my first response was well Glasgow is like boxes okay. and Paris is like cake and Please elaborate. <laughs> I don't and, get it. Yeah, he was looking at me exactly the same way you're looking at me right now. He was like, "Are you like again?" My French wasn't great at the time, so he was looking at me saying, "Are you sure you're saying what you think you're saying?" And I was like, "Yes, Glasgow's boxes and Paris's cake." So what I mean by that is like Glasgow's been constructed on a grid system, so uh, all of the streets are perpendicular, and it's very very easy to navigate. You know that the direction you're walking in is going to take you to where you have to be. Whereas Paris, if you think about it, about looking down on like a like A12 for example yeah. where Dark de Triomphe is you have the, the roundabout which is like incredible in itself to watch how is no one crashing like all the time on that roundabout <laughs> yeah it's um, it's, very <laughs> it's, it's, it's insane like like all the roads go out as if you've cut cake it's all triangular as if you've cut oh. it all so what I mean by that is like all of these boulevards run diagonally away from each other That's and true. it's so easy to just find yourself just heading in completely the wrong direction. That, that's very true because I I always got lost and I always found myself going in circles, especially in the 11th because Avenue de la République is super confusing for me. I, like where I live, I should know how to get around, right? <laughs> no, it didn't happen. So I really like looked into this and like Paris apparently doesn't have a grid system, but it used to have with the ancient Roman city. Uh, but the more city grew, basically they dropped that idea of having the grid system and they grew in circular enlargements, I would say, with the population and everything. And the theory is, is to defend, like have the city central, so in case of like any attack that can happen, to defend the city, the main 
quarters of the city, they just run around and around and around, and we still keep getting lost because of that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just a little, a little bit of um, historical mm. context for that. Have at it. Kelly loves history. So the um, so the, the very first sort of version of Paris was constructed on the Ile de la Cité, which is that little island that we can go and have picnics on. Um, ah. Notre Dame is, is sat is stood on the Ile de la yeah, Cité as well. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And that was the very first sort of version of what Paris was until they started to expand. The first bridge that took you out from Ile de la Cité to the um, North Bank and the Left Bank was Pont Neuf. Oh. So Pont Neuf is, uh, obviously translates to New Bridge, but yeah. it's actually the oldest bridge in Paris. I didn't know Pont Neuf was the first bridge. I had no idea. I mean, it makes sense, New Bridge. Uh, but the, the only thing I know about it is there's a film called Le, The Lovers of Pont Neuf, Les Amants de Pont Neuf, and okay. it's a, like a really uh, nice French movie, and I, I really like it. And when I first visited Paris, because I had watched the movie, I had to come and like see that bridge, yeah. and they're drinking wine in the movie um, from like boxes. Okay. And I, I wanted to do that, <laughs> so I went into the, like, the supermarket looking for those wine and stuff like that. If we're gonna like continue talking about Paris, in terms of like how it's structured, I think it's almost impossible to talk about it without talking about Osman. Well, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> I mean, Osman, um, I always thought like he was some dude from the Ottoman Empire because the way his name is pronounced is actually Osman. And Osman is a Turkish first name as well as like the Ottoman Empire in Turkish is Osmanlı İmparatorluğu. Oh, okay. So I thought it was this dude who came from the Ottoman <laughs> Empire and like started building stuff in Paris. Okay. No, like not at all. <laughs> so he was like summoned by the Emperor Napoleon III in the 1800s to carry out this like massive urban renew renewal program. I would say the central Paris as it is today is still what he designed. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm gonna get a bit geeky on this, but I really was curious about this person, like what he did and the controversy around it. So to give you a little bit of context, at this time, the city itself hadn't changed much since the Middle Ages in terms of like architecture. Right. It was overcrowded, apparently, not very clean and contaminated with like lots of disease. Right, okay. Uh, so we're talking about like 18... 50, something right. like that. Okay. And Napoleon basically wanted to have this, Napoleon III, sorry, I need to clarify that. Uh, he basically declared that Paris needed light, air, clean water, and a good uh, sanitation system. Okay. As well as like Paris needed to communicate outside of the central. Uh, for them, basically, the only way to do this back then was to enlarge in the city, adding big avenues and boulevards in between districts and then adding smaller and bigger parks and modern sewage system. Okay. Back then, uh, Paris had only 12 arrondissements, districts, and after the, all the works were done, it was 20. Right, okay. I, I was like, how did this dude do this? <laughs> but first of all, he like, tear the city down, about like 60-70% of the city was like torn down. Okay. And it took about 17 years, Kelly, like imagine from 1853 to mm -hmm. 1870. Right. How frustrating that would be. Even like there is a travel like construction in my metro stop. Yeah. I get really frustrated. <laughs> yeah. So he, he destroyed all these slums. So do we know where all these people went? during that time while these buildings were being reconstructed? No, not really. No, I don't know. I okay. didn't look into like where, where they were 
sent to. Right. They were moved around, but uh -huh. that's like one of the things, actually, the main thing that he was judged about. Because back in the day, the city center, the slums, yeah. had a good mixture of like economical status, background of people. So the poor and the rich walked on the same streets, lived in the same um, buildings. Uh, and what he did is that he created these like popular and bourgeois districts okay. and that's pretty much why like when you look into the right bank, left bank, some like central arrondissements, they're actually more expensive to live in and that's because of Osman. Right, okay. Aside from doing that, he destroyed a lot of medieval treasures of the city, like the, the things that we hear and read about in the books of Baudelaire or Balzac, and anyone who appreciated that kind of nostalgia and their heritage got super upset because he completely destroyed it. Right, okay, wow. I mean, to be fair, it was the times of imperial capitalism. Right. That's what was happening within France. But he, yeah, he created these these different uh, social class neighborhoods. And also, one of the things that he got judged about is the boulevards that he built. Although he said it's for like making the city communicate, it was actually for the purpose of letting the army vehicles pass through the streets so that they right. can fire off the protests. Oh, right, okay. I mean, yeah. imagine French people, they protest, yeah. right? And probably those people, like you asked, where did they go? Probably they were displaced, yeah. and obviously they were protesting yeah. for those reasons. Okay. And yeah, I mean, like, architecturally speaking, it's part of the charm of this city. Yeah. I mean, these these houseman buildings that you're talking about, these boulevards that you're talking about are so quintessentially Paris. These streets are beautiful. The buildings themselves, I mean, I very rarely get to go into a houseman building, no, actually. Like, I, yeah, I, uh, the only time I can actually get inside one is whenever I have a doctor's appointment. Exactly. So, yeah, these beautiful buildings, I mean, yeah, that gives the Paris skyline a certain amount of consistency because these yeah. buildings don't really go over, what, five or six five floors? Or six. I think the, up, the, the top floor is Champ de Bon, where the, like, the help... I don't know how to say that, lives and all the rest were like the residents, bourgeois people living. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the, the, the, the servants stayed in the attic quarters Yeah. Um, and the families, the richer families were in the, in the lower quarters. I read a thing once that, that said Paris buildings aren't any more than five or six stories hmm. because everyone deserves sunshine. <laughs> well, that's very true because Paris, I would say, is not a very sunny city. <laughs> like, if the buildings went all the way up to skyscrapers, yeah. we would not get any sun down no, here exactly. where we are right now. I don't believe it's true. That's not the reason why these buildings, obviously, obviously it's not the reason why these buildings were built like that, but it's, um, I like it as a little bit of whimsy about Paris. Yeah, it is. It's cute. So, speaking of like the architecture, I kind of want to talk about a couple of other pieces of interesting yeah, architecture in the city. One of my favourite buildings is actually really close to the park that we're in right now. It's oh, like, where is it? it? It's if you if you exit the park here, you pass mm -hmm. the fountain on that right hand side. Mm -hmm. It's called the Institute of Art and Archaeology. Oh, I never paid attention to that building. What does it look like? So it's it's it's a real oddity. It really sticks out because it's made of bright red brick. Ah, Paris is so grey. <laughs> yeah. So so you know that you know that sort of blanket 
uh, sandy colour building with mm -hmm. the grey roof is very traditionally Paris. Yeah. Well, this building is like really different because of that, and it was it was only constructed in the thirties. I think it was finished in like oh. nineteen thirty-two, so it's not even like a really ancient building. Yeah, that's bold of them to do that in the thirties. Yeah, and um, I I love it because of how bold it looks and how how much it stands out. Mm. The red brick is so beautifully detailed, uh -huh. and there's lots of engravings on the outside of it with lots of large elongated windows, and then on the top the bricks make these sort of like spiky spires. Uh, if anyone's listening from Glasgow, it kind of looks a bit like the Temple Carpet Factory that is just next to People's Palace in Glasgow. Yeah. And I think maybe that's why that's it appeals probably. to me because it, it looks sort of familiar as well. The, the juxtaposition with this bright red brick building next to one of the sandy um, buildings, mm -hmm. it, it shouldn't be sitting together. Yeah. Um, and it just it creates it, contrast. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I love about it. So, yeah, that's, that's uh, probably one of my favourites. Because I would say my favourite building also does the same thing. Mine is uh, Centre Pompidou. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a contemporary art museum that was uh, completed in the 70s, I think. It is named Centre Pompidou because back then the the president who um, commissioned it, he was uh, Georges Pompidou. But the reason I like it is because just exactly like you said, Paris is colorless. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe this. And Georges Pompidou has the, is the, I think it's the first inside out building. Okay. So when you when I first came here, what I noticed is that when you go to your flat, you see the pipes of the um, uh, in the bathroom yep. that are not hidden under the tiles. In Turkey, they are. Okay. So that was something that I noticed about like overall interior architecture of uh, Parisian apartments. So imagine that. I mean, you know the building, but for those who don't, imagine that and having all these colorful pipes outside of one building in central Paris mm. and I find that super bold and that's probably what I was also looking for some kind of like contrast mm. so the colors I think are blue yellow green and red there are multiple pipes and each pipe uh, is allocated to something like one is airflow, one is electricity, one is like pedestrian flow, and the other one is, I think, uh, water. Okay. And it is a very good example of high-tech architecture. When it was finished and they won the project, the architects, they, not, they were not welcomed by the Parisians. <laughs> the building was not. Um, apparently Figaro, which would, I would call like right-wing to central right-wing uh, newspaper, said Paris has its own monster. Oh wow, harsh. Yeah, after <laughs> after seeing this building. But yeah, I really like it because there's also the Stavinsky fountain outside of it that has I think like 16, maybe 20, I don't know, sculptures. And there it was done by two uh, artists and one of them, Niki de Sanfal, is one of my favorite uh, sculpture feminist sculptists. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Sculpturist. Sculptor. sculptor. Sculptor. Okay, thank you. But yeah, anyway, that's that's my favourite building. And so I've been to the Pompidou Centre a few times uh. because they do some really interesting exhibitions there. More, most recently I went to a photography exhibition, which was wonderful. Like It is a, it is a beautifully striking building, yeah. but my favourite thing about it is how you can take all the escalators to the sixth floor and you get a 360 degree view of the entire city. Uh, yeah. And if you go there just around before sunset, you, you can see from the Eiffel Tower all the way to the Sacré-Cœur and yes. it's just breathtaking. Yes, and that's why it was designed that way, like they wanted it to be a centre for like, if you want to have food, there's a cafe, if you want to see art, 
you go visit the exhibitions and there's a big library attached to the building as well. So it was like this communal space, not just a museum. So I would say Jardin de Luxembourg is probably my favourite park in Paris, just for the vibe that I described earlier. Um, there are loads of other parks here. Um, park Montsouri is also a very pretty close park. Close to where you live, yeah. Yeah, and there's uh, Jardin du Plan aussi, which has mm -hmm. the botanic gardens in there. With, um, yeah. And during the summer, it's so beautiful. Well, actually, during the spring, it's more beautiful because all the cherry blossoms cherry are blossoms. out. It's so yeah. beautiful. The last episode, we were in Bois de Vincennes, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. recording there for that massive space with the lake. And we were also, uh, there's also at the other side, Bois de Boulogne. Yeah. So, this is something I really appreciate about Paris is the fact that these green spaces that have been constructed are so precious because we all live in boxes yeah. on top one stacked on top of each other and our, our living quarters for the most part are very con confined. It can get very claustrophobic. It can and to be able to come out and enjoy like a natural green, green space in a city like this is something that I find really um, comforting actually. Yeah. Um, like coming from Glasgow um, Glasgow also has like lots of green spaces in it, like um, Kelvin Grove Park and um, Glasgow Green is the other example. And then obviously if you're in Glasgow, you can drive like 20 minutes in any direction and you're inside nature within like no time, you know. That's I've, nice. I, the house that I bought when I was living in Scotland was in the middle of the countryside as well. Oh, so I didn't know that. Yeah, so I lived literally in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I was always surrounded by green spaces and I thought coming to live in a city that's so enclosed and, and so tightly packed with people would, would be a bit more shocking mm -hmm. to me but um, this is why these, these green spaces kind of make it a bit easier yeah yeah and it's again it, it is worth crediting Osman did that like all these parks are actually not the one that we're in this already existed it was even bigger he like made it smaller which yeah. got criticized and all these little parks uh, that we're talking about even the Bois de Vincennes and Bois de Boulogne which are called the lungs of Paris were built by him for me, coming from Istanbul, so just to give a little bit of political context, I arrived in 2013, right when the Gezi Park protests were happening. So I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but basically what they wanted to do, there are not many parks in Istanbul to begin with. And this Gezi Park was a tiny little park in the center of the city next to Taksim, and the government wanted to tear it down and build a shopping center or whatever, like a commercial center. Right. And we protested that and it became really violent because of the police attacks and the government's backlash to it. There were people who died, who got injured, and up until then, I don't think I realized how much I like green spaces and, and uh, living where I uh, live. <laughs> so coming to Paris, finding out all these parks was a blast to me. Like for me, I'm not coming from a countryside. So for me, it's greener than, than Istanbul, and I really, really love it. What I also really love about these parks is that obviously the listeners cannot see this, but let me describe. Uh, next to us, there are all these little chairs with so many people seated on them, facing towards the sun. So they're taking their vitamin D before the winter hits, right? And in Turkey, we don't really sunbathe in parks. Uh, because it's also a country um, like surrounded by three different seas and people who want to go to sunbathe and get vitamin D, they can already get it on the streets to begin with because it's a sunny country. But there's so many beaches around there. And when I first came here, I realized not that they only sunbathe with clothes on, they also sunbathe in like bathing suits. Mm. And that was a big culture shock for me because in Turkey, I think you would get harassed if you were to do that, really. 
So I, I really appreciate like being able to sunbathe in the central city with a bikini on and just enjoy myself. And we, we've been doing that, Kelly and I've been doing that uh, for the past couple of summers. Yeah, we did. Um, we did spend a lot of time uh, sunbathing in Park. I want to say Bouchemont. Bouchemont, Belleville. Belleville, yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we would um, go and take a little picnic and a bottle of rosy wine and, you yeah. know, just spend some time. It's just, just a blast. Uh, just soaking up the sun. Um, personally, I wouldn't feel particularly comfortable being in a bikini in a park, um, mm -hmm. but that's just a pers personal preference. Yeah. I don't think I would be harassed by anyone if I chose to do it here, mm -hmm. um, but personal preference, no, I think I, I, I don't think I would feel comfortable doing that. Uh, but just to clarify, you do put your bikini top on, but you still have shorts on when you're sunbathing. Yes. So yeah. not on like full uh, swimming suit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But even doing that would be frowned upon in Turkey. Wow, right, yeah. okay. One of the differences I've spotted, talking about us sitting having like a bottle of rosy wine, uh -huh. even if you go down to the banks of the Seine when it's a sunny day, you yeah. see lots of people sitting on the banks and it's that's illegal in, in oh, Glasgow. It's a, it's a bylaw in Glasgow and it, it's illegal to drink on the streets okay. unless you're drinking at a licensed um, a licensed seating area at a bar. Mm. But you can't just buy like like beer and go and onto even on even on public transport trains and things. It's it's, it's banned. It's illegal, mm. um, and you can't go to parks and sit and drink. So. Obviously, I enjoy that very much, <laughs> having been here. But why is it banned? Because we enjoy it a bit too much, Delara. Ah, okay. <laughs> so, like, people get drunk and just cause trouble? It's an anti-social behaviour bylaw that was ah. put in place in Glasgow. Quite a heavy police presence in these in these parks, like Kelvin Grove and things like that. You okay. get fined um, oh, for, for drinking, yeah. I mean, from my 10 years of experience in central Paris, I haven't really seen anyone getting drunk in a public space and causing any trouble. Yeah, not me either, not really. The only thing, I guess, that I've noticed would maybe be like the odd pool of vomit on the metro uh, uh, late yeah. at night. It's, it's, yeah, around like the last metro, the 2am metro. Yes, <laughs> it really is uncensored Paris, the 2am metro. Wow, yeah, that's you get some sights yeah. on there, yeah. That, that actually makes me think about... Uh, seeing Paris for some people I guess who come from smaller cities or towns they find Paris a very lively city that it goes on for 24 hours and coming from Istanbul I've lived in Istanbul for nine years and I was out and about all around that city Istanbul really lived 24 mm. hours you can find shops open mm. at 4 a.m. you can order food at your apartment mm. at 3 a.m. and the, the cities were not as vacant as they would be in Paris after that last metro yeah I, I kind of agree like there's we are kind of slaves to the RATP like everyone has to get on that last metro yeah. home or like your your options are like Uber or taxi you know so this is why the 2A metro is so interesting because everybody has to get in it. it's always full <laughs> of people but I also find if you don't manage to get that last metro mm -hmm. and you're in a taxi home that it's empty and actually yeah. I really like how empty it is it's driving past the Seine and really? there's just no one there uh, at the beginning I found it shocking because I come from a country that has a capitalistic consumist culture whereas mm -hmm. France is more socialist so the reason that 2 a.m. metro is the last one because there are no workers at mm. night the reason the bars shut down even they start closing up at 1 a.m. you do the last round of drinks then they need to clean up and close so majority of the bars close at 2 a.m. like the people who work in the service industry are not slaves to our nightlife right <laughs> yeah. so it's a socialist it used to be a, mo a lot more socialist I would say like even when I came here there were no Ubers there were no heat 
uh, the, all those apps didn't exist then. There were only two, I think, major taxi companies in Paris. It was impossible to get in one. And I found it a bit sho shocking when I first arrived, not having 24-hour, seven-day service. And now I'm getting used to it and I appreciate it. Yeah. And if you're going to come here as a tourist or if you're planning on moving here, I think that's one thing that's important to understand that this country is not as consumist as what the economies of capitalist countries are. And it's important not to be shocked by it and a little bit respect. And speaking of tourists, obviously that's a huge part of life here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you have to accept that we are living in one of the most, if not the most, um, touristic city yeah. in Europe. Everywhere you go, you will bump into tourists, and I mean literally bump into tourists who <laughs> stop dead in front of you. Um, Taking get, their maps. Yes, get in your way. But it's one of the things I really do love about living here mm -hmm. is the fact that people come here from all over the world and there's a lot of people who have saved up so much money just to be able to come and visit the city it's that I'm living dream. in. It's their dream. For some people it's a dream to come here. Absolutely. And I need to respect that people are coming here to live their best lives and yeah. understand that people do need to take some time to get to know the city. This is exactly the same way I did, you know, but they'd have yeah. less time. <laughs> they, have, they have less time than I do. So yes, it's, it can be really frustrating sometimes when you, you think, oh, go to these places and it's filled with tourists, I would never go there. And yes, yeah. there are tourist traps that I avoid. Sometimes one of my favourite things is walking through the street and seeing people taking selfies or like you know having a romantic kiss because they can see the Eiffel Tower yeah. um, when you're sitting on the Seine as we mm -hmm. used to do during the summer and you see the Batumush come by and there's tourists all waving at you and things like that mm -hmm. like I love that yeah that's very sweet of you to say that Kelly I like that and let's end on that but before we do I got a quote for you okay uh, from this American author I guess like everybody knows him by now Ernst Hemingway and from his book uh, Movable Feast mm -hmm. which is dedicated to Paris. Here it goes. There is never any ending to Paris and the memory of each person who has lived in it differs from that of any other. Mm. We always return to it no matter who we were or how it was changed or with what difficulties or ease it could be reached. Paris was always worth it and you received return from whatever you brought to it. But this is how Paris was in the early days when we were poor and very happy. That's a nice quote. Mm. Yeah. But what I've, do you I've, think? I've got news for you. We're still poor. <laughs> <laughs> Paris is expensive, uh, Ernest. It's like, so yeah. That's where it's the romanticization of like yeah. being poor in Paris. But yeah, I mean, I have my personal thoughts on this author, but I like the fact that he does talk about people coming into Paris mm -hmm. changes Paris because Paris is known as like a resistant to change, unchangeable city. And I disagree with that. We are changing the city by living in this. So thanks for joining us today on our episode on Paris. If you'd like to throw us a follow on Instagram or send us a little email with any thoughts and comments or feedback, it'd be very much appreciated. You can find both those on our show notes. Thank you and au revoir. Ciao.